you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Um, oftentimes we get to, you know, we, we preach and, and, and teach through things, and uh, it's actually not all that often that I get to preach and teach through Old Testament books because they're challenging. They take a lot to uh, a lot of study and a lot of digging in. Jonas, um, you can keep walking around. And uh, anyway, so um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I hope uh, you're ready. I hope you're strapped in and ready to rock and roll. Um, today we are going to be in the book of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament. You can find it in a Bible. Um, that's where that book would be contained. Um, as we're preaching through this, as we're starting this series, I want to highlight a few things to you. I put them in the, in the bulletin. There's actually some helpful links that you can go to if you have a smartphone or a device. Um, there is a Bible study guide that's there from the Village Church, which is Matt Chandler's church in uh, uh, Matt Chandler and many, many others um, down in Texas. There's a whole network of churches. Um, this study guide actually will work really well. It pairs up really well. It's one of those like daily kind of uh, study this section of scripture thing. So if you want to study along with us, that's a really good way to do it. And it downloads right into your device PDF and you can uh, you can see the questions and all that stuff and it's all full free. There's also this place on uh, Gutenberg.org, which is the Gutenberg Mission. Gutenberg Mission, what they do is they are trying to build a resource where all public domain books go, and you can download them. And so there's a free download of A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, which also will pair up very, very well with this book. And so you can download that right into your device, and they have different versions of it. They have EPUBs, which would be like for Google Books. They have Kindle versions. If you have a Kindle, you can download it into your Kindle, and it will just... Just uh, just link right up in your Kindle device or whatever. So you can go there. And then additionally, the Bible Project is a great website to help you understand a little bit about the Old Testament if you haven't learned a whole lot about it. Also, I've learned that my friend Job over here apparently is a wealth of knowledge of the Old Testament. So go ahead and grill him with questions. He looks shocked. So he looks shocked. They're, actually, the, the men's group on six uh, that meets at 6.30 on Wednesdays is studying Ezra. Which Ezra and Nehemiah are the same, they're, they're part one and part two of the same book. And so, uh, so the, the guys are going to be studying through Ezra as we're studying through Nehemiah, and it's going to be kind of a fun little thing. Uh, so those are some helpful things for you if you want to dig in a little bit further this summer, if you want to spend some more time in the Word of God, those are some helpful resources for you and I just encourage you to use them. We're going to be doing a few more of those types of things, making sure that you have good resources while we're going through these series so that you can, um, well just so that it's a, it's a deeper experience for you. Um, so there will be, uh, there'll be some changes coming up this summer. We're going to try a few things and be asking for feedback just so you know. Uh, kids, if you have a, if you have a, a, a whiteboard, if you do, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to either write the word pray or draw your best pray hands. You know, these things. And uh, what you're going to do is, every time I say the word prayer today, I want you to point a, point a finger up like this and then mark down a check next to, next, on, on your board. I want to I see how many times we say the word prayer today. Um, so that, uh, that will keep you hopefully a little bit um, more engaged. But I want your hand to go up every time I say the word prayer. Let's try it. Ready? One, two, three, prayer. Anybody want to do that? Okay, good. Thanks, Kat. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Um, okay, we're going to start off first, though, by uh, talking about something completely different. We're going to talk about laughter. Uh, I would like you to um, I would like you to fake laugh to the person next to you on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. 
Okay, that's great. Wonderful. Okay, stop it. Um, too much joy. Uh, okay, so... Laughter is a funny thing. I don't know if you know this, but your fake laugh will never, ever, ever mimic your real laugh. It never does. And everybody has their own little laugh imprint. And some of them are similar, of course. And you might know some of the laughs that are out there. There are, uh, there is the, um, the hissing hose. You guys know what the hissing hose is, right? That one, right? Right. Um, there's the machine gunner laugh. If you've never heard that one, right? The <laughs> um, there's the uh, there's the belly chuckle. You know, there's the Santa laugh, the, <laughs> the un- uncontrollable thing. Jamin's laugh is totally silent for the most part until he gets rolling. Then it's this high pitched kind of girly laugh. You should try to you should try to get him. It's pretty good actually. It's pretty good. My dad has a totally silent laugh. All you, you just see him move like this. And that's him roaring with laughter. Nothing comes out of him at all. He starts to turn red a little bit if he's really, really laughing, but still no noise comes out. Uh, one time there was, uh, one time when I was in Miles City, there was this girl, um, she's actually a, a petite little girl, um, she, you know, tiny little, tiny little blonde girl, and she had this legendary laugh. And I didn't think much of it, but I, these guys that were in my college group were like, dude, you gotta, you gotta hear this girl laugh. I'm like, okay, well that's fine. You know, they told me about her for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then we went to a truck stop and we had some, uh, fr- the, the four B's in Miles City, Montana with, uh, we had french fries and gravy. Mmm, so good for the heart. Anyways, uh, so we, we went there and their whole goal was to try to get this girl to laugh. And so they were telling her all these jokes and they were telling these stories to get her to laugh. This teeny little girl. All right, and she starts, you hear her, and she starts going. It's <laughs> 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 just on and on. Lori, I love her laugh. And on and on and on, this teeny little girl that I did not expect anything to come out of. We're sitting around at 2 in the morning, and all of a sudden it's just... <laughs> Like, there's just this suction in problem that's happening with this lady. <laughs> I've never heard a laugh like that ever again. Ever. But it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, the reason I bring this up is I handle situations with laughter when I should not. I handle situations all the time with laughter when I should not. Uh, we were just talking about, uh, Nick, how many times have you done, how many funerals have you done? Maybe, have you estimated? A little over 50 funerals in how many years of ministry? Uh, in a, well, youth ministry I didn't do a lot, but in the last 15 years. Yeah, because nobody wants the youth pastor doing their funeral, right? right? No, yeah. it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. The last 15 years, about 50 funerals. About, yeah, last 15 years, about 50 funerals. Um, I have done three. There's a reason why. Because nobody dies when I'm in ministry. It's amazing. No, I'm just kidding. The reason is because um, I, I laugh in tense situations. And I make jokes at funerals. The three funerals I've done, I had people laughing in stitches at the funeral. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. I think it actually provides this really awkward situation. There are many ways, other than laughter, to handle a funeral. 
like compassion. Apparently, I don't have any of that. But we started. I just I make people laugh. I handle situations with laughter. Today, we're gonna as we launch into Nehemiah, we're gonna look at how does one handle a situation when they roll up into a situation that's really tense, when they roll up into a situation that is difficult for them to wrap their brain around, when they roll into a situation where all of a sudden it's this thing that is heartbreaking. How do you react? For me, I react. I react with joking. I react with laughter. I tell people stories that are going to get them chuckling a little bit because, I don't know, I think it eases tension. But sometimes you have to leave tension there. Uh, But today also as we launch into our our summer series in the book of Nehemiah, what I would like to do is, um, well first of all, uh, Jesse's not here anymore, Jesse Fagerlin, he went out to pray with his kids, which was awesome, but uh, he was giving me a hard time, I said, uh, we're going to go do Nehemiah for the summer, he goes, yeah, because when I think summer, I think Nehemiah. Like, actually, it fits really well. What do you do during the summer? You build walls, you do yard projects, sometimes your neighbors curse at you and yell at you and scream at you, um, and sometimes they write letters to the governor about your work. I mean, this is something that happens in the summer, so it's a very good summer book. Um, the book of Nehemiah, though, what you're going to see is we're going to see a man of faith. Um, it, it focuses on Nehemiah, but it focuses on what God is doing around Nehemiah. Well, it focuses about God's, uh, the focus is on God's protection of Nehemiah and his provision for the people of Israel. We're going to see a man whose faith moves him to build up the things of God and to build up the people of God. And sometimes that means uh, standing firm in the face of adversity. Sometimes that means actually communicating difficult truths. Sometimes it just means a lot of different things. And what you're going to find is you're going to find a man who does not have it all together, but who does have a pretty large faith. So today we need to start off by talking about Nehemiah's reaction to a situation in Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll see if I can actually find the book. It's in the middle somewhere. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Ezra, for being after Ray. So apparently it's after Ezra, after Ray. Um, okay, but so Nehemiah was written about events that happened about 450 to 500 years before Jesus. And now I'm keenly aware of the fact that, generally speaking, most people don't tend to know the fullness of the Bible story. And so, uh, if you grab your little bulletin thing, if you didn't get one, shame on you, but if there's, we make many, um, but grab your little bulletin thing, and what you're going to see is you're going to see these icons down the side of your bulletin page. I want you to pay attention to these, because I'm going to teach you something, and this is going to appear in every introduction of every sermon each week, because we're going to learn this, and you're going to know this, okay? And so these, these icons what they do is they're going to help you to know the big points of the Bible story that bring us up to Nehemiah, and we're going to do it with some hand motions. So what you're going to see there is, down the line, you're going to see first this earth. That stands for creation. And then after that, you see this tree with a little snake intertwined around it. That stands for the fall. Then you see all these stars, and that's the time when Abraham says, I will bless you and turn you into a great nation, and I'll make your descendants more numerous than the stars. So you've got creation, fall, and nations. Then you've got captivity. Israel goes into captivity at the end of Genesis and into the book of Exodus. And then that's the next thing. You have Exodus, where the Ten Commandments come, the law come, and God removes His people. After that, they wander. That little foot there is to remind us that they wander around in the desert for multiple years 
years, and then they end up in the promised land, as you see this little land icon. After that, God brings in judges in order to rule over the land. Judges are like heroes of old, but they were God's instrument to bring people back into redemption after they had fallen into sin. And after that, God brings in the kings. In fact, actually, Israel decides they want a king before God says you can have one. And they elect Saul as king, and it goes horribly wrong. And eventually they end up with David and then his lineage. Then afterwards, the kings get worse and worse and worse, and God sends them out into exile. He removes Israel from the land. And then after many years, he brings them back, the return. And that's where we end up with Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay, now I promised some hand motions. I'm uh, channeling my inner VBS teacher back in the day when I didn't do funerals because I was a youth pastor. Okay, so uh, so follow with me here. Okay, you got to learn this, and we're gonna we're gonna do this each and every week. So creation is like jazz hands, right? So creation. Okay, you got to get that. So ready? One, two, three. Creation. Okay. Then fall. So we do creation. Fall and then nations are stars like this. Nations, God scatters, He raises up these nations and actually He scatters them through the Tower of Babel. So you got creation, fall, nations, right? Captivity, do that. Captivity, don't break your wrists while you do it. Captivity, and then we're going to throw a Jamin-esque uh, movement here for Exodus. Exodus. Right? So let's go back over that. So you got creation, fall, nations, captivity, Exodus. Got it so far? That brings you through the book of Exodus. Now, after that, we got from Exodus, we go into wandering. Okay? Wandering. I was going to do this, but Laura said it looked weird. So wandering. Okay? Stop it, you two. And then promised land. Okay, so wandering, promised land. So let's go from the top. Ready? So you got creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wandering, promised land. Then you have judges, kings, exile, return. Okay, exile, return. Oh, sorry, if you're Filipina, exile, return. You got to do verse him. So you got all that? Let's try it again. So already we get creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wanderings, promised land, judges, kings, exile, return. You got it? That brings you through all of the Old Testament up until Ezra and Nehemiah. This is what happens in the Old Testament. This is the plot line, the storyline. The Old Testament can be hard to understand sometimes because it's not laid out necessarily chronologically. There are some extra things that are thrown in there that really mess us up a little bit. But this is what happens as we have creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wandering, promised land, judges, kings, exile, and return. Okay? And we're going to run that through. We're going to run you through this each week for the next 13 so that you remember it. Because repetition really makes a big difference. Now the first half of the Old Testament is about the the establishment of Israel as God's people. And so creation is merely a means to... uh, In fact, the book of Isaiah says that God did not create the world to be formless and void. He created it to be inhabited. And so He created the world to be inhabited by His people. And so there's this calling of the nation of Israel and calling of all the nations into existence in the book of Genesis. And eventually then the nation of Israel goes into captivity in in order to incubate in Egypt. They become a great nation. God brings them out of the nation. Um, He he exoduses them right out of there. And then 
unfortunately they disobey him, they wander around, but he does eventually bring them to the promised land in the book of Joshua. Judges comes in, and then you have the kings and the exile. Now when they return, when they're called back, you, you get the, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah. What happens in between there in the exile are books like Daniel and books like Esther. Esther is the queen of... Persia. She's one of the queens of Persia, and that's one of the nations that the Israelites were brought off to. At this time in per, at this time in the world, Persia, the nation of Persia, uh, excuse me, the empire, the Persian Empire, was the largest empire to have existed on Earth to date. Their kingdom spanned from India, from eastern India, all the way to Egypt and up into Greece. Huge empire. Huge empire. It it rivaled the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire eventually became bigger. But the Persian Empire was one of the biggest empires of the world. And then, of course, the Mongolians kicked that in the teeth. But um, what happens is the Israelites, as they're becoming disobedient, as they're not listening to the prophets, God threatens. He says, if you don't repent, you don't turn to me. I'm going to exile you. I'm going to send you out, but I will call you back as you worship me. And so they don't listen to the prophets and, and they're sent out into all these different lands. And some go to Egypt and some go to Macedonia and some go to Greece and some go all, all the way down into uh, some go into India and some go off into different places and some end up in Persia. And one of the guys who ends up in Persia is Nehemiah. And what we're going to find out when we read this is we're going to find out who he is. So, here we go. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah. So excited. Okay, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem, right? So he's concerned about his homeland. He's in Susa, which is one of the, is the capital city. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven, before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your hand, great strength and your mighty excuse me, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this serv- this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in in receiving your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Little little tagline. So what we find about Nehemiah is, and let me just kind of paint the cultural backdrop of what's going on here. The people of Israel have been exiled, and they know fully that as they worship the Lord, He will bring them back. Now, nothing, nothing cuts a heart deeper than being grounded. 
And this is kind of what happens is God sends his people. He says, you're grounded. And they go, okay, well, I will change. We will change. And they start changing. And what's happening is the prophets like Daniel are starting to prophesy about things that are about the fact that God is going to be bringing his people back someday very soon. And there's this buzz about uh, about the the country, the the nation of Persia, and those who are scattered amongst all of the people of all of the nations. Because what has happened is a few, you know, a book before this in Ezra, a few years prior, there was a decree that was put out that the Israelites could go back with money and with finances to build the temple again. And so Ezra builds the temple in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden people are worshiping in Jerusalem again. So there's this buzz going, oh man, God's going to do something mighty. God's going to do something great. God's going to do something incredible. He's going to bring us back to our land. And they're excited. There's this huge buzz. And Nehemiah, and when he hears that, when when his brothers come from Jerusalem, what is he expecting? My guess is he's expecting them to say, God's doing mighty things. He's bringing people back. There are people coming back and the city is fully in an uproar and it's an amazing thing. And he's sitting here, I think he's thinking that. I think he's expecting that. But his brothers come and he he says, no, Jerusalem is in disgrace. The walls are torn down and they've been burned with fire and the people are ashamed. And Nehemiah's heart breaks. His heart just breaks. Now we find out that Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer to the king is the person who tasted the wine that's given to the king to make sure it's not poisoned. So if somebody brings, you know, I mean the king's, my guess is the king's having wine a lot because that's kind of the king's deal. And so what happens is every time he gets a cup, Nehemiah's got to take a, a taste of the, of the bottle or the wineskin that's got the wine in it. And he's got to take a drink of it and then they wait to see if he's going to die. Imagine having that job, right? Let's, I don't even know what the job posting would be like. Um, now hiring, person who is okay with dying while we watch, right? Like, I, I don't know what the benefits are or what the pay is, but what I do know is the cupbearer to the king in Persia was probably the third in command. Third in command of all of the entire empire, of the largest empire that has ever existed up until that point. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. So Nehemiah, when he hears this piece of this piece of news, he actually has the power and the authority to do something about it. He has the ability to do something about it. So here's his options. What are the options that he can do? Let's just let's just look at this. What are the, some of the things he can do? Well, Nehemiah could do nothing. He could do nothing. He could actually just tell himself that someone else will take care of it. He's got a pretty good gig, right? He's second, third, third in command. He's third in command. He's probably getting, probably making bank, sleeping in a nice house, probably not having to worry about too much of anything except for the fact that he's, I mean, he's drinking wine every day. He's, he's doing okay, right? Like this is, this is a good life. So one of his options is, okay, I hear this piece of news. Don't rock the boat, baby, right? Let's just not worry about that. He could do nothing. Or he could do something. He could risk his own life. He could actually go and, and do something. He could, he could go take care of it. He could go, I don't know, he could go raise some money or raise awareness. He could start, he could start raising money. You know, uh, he could start, he could start a marathon. Let, you know, walk around the city because we wandered around. Let's raise some money and let's build this wall, right? Like he could do something. 
Or he could tell someone else to do something. He's actually got some power, right? He could say, hey, you, I, this is real bad. Uh, you go do something and you go do something and you go do something. Go do this right now. He could push some legislation. I mean, he's got that option. Or he could tell people to do, to do nothing. This is one of the ways people react, react to news sometimes is you could be like, well, don't worry about it. Don't do anything about that because it's not really our, I mean, it's God's will. So let's just not even worry about it. So he's got some options on the table, but here's what he does. If you, I don't know if you've noticed this. Here's what he does. And this is the part, kids, where if you're doing the prayer thing, you're going to have to keep up. What he does is he instantaneously prays. First, he's broken hearted. It's the first thing that he does is he is broken hearted. It says right in the text here that when I heard this, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He is broken hearted about the situation that he, that he hears about. It isn't just a piece of news where he's like, man, it's okay. You know, Syrians, they're, they're a bunch of refugees. There's billions of people. Uh, what am I going to do about that? He's not just, he's not just moving past the news. Some of you have this situation, like, uh, Tetiana, you have this situation. You hear news about Ukraine all the time. It breaks your heart, doesn't it? Because of what's happening in Ukraine. Us, who don't have the connection that Tatiana does to Ukraine, we hear news about the Ukraine and it's like, meh, it's news. But here we have a soul who's sitting here who's got family there who's like broken hearted for what's going on. Nehemiah is broken hearted for this situation. Like he is so broken hearted that what it leads him to do is immediately upon hearing the news of, of Israel being in ruins and his family and his blood and his people and his city that they're suffering, he instantly breaks down and he sits down and weeps and mourns for days. Have you ever sat down and wept and mourned for days? For days based on something. In our society, if you break down and you weep and mourn for days and you start calling into work because you're broken hearted because of something happening, our society will tell you that's foolish. Get productive. Nehemiah is broken hearted for days. And he mourns and he prays and he fasts for days. Never underestimate the power of a broken prayer. Never underestimate the power of a broken hearted prayer. Broken people pray. Broken hearted people pray the prayers of broken hearted people. Broken people exercise faith. Broken people pray. Broken people move. Broken people are sad. Broken people recognize their part in things. Broken people do something. Broken people feel the full force of the weight of the power of sin. If you have not been broken, you may move. You may jump into activism. But I'm telling you, you'll burn out. You'll fizzle. Because that brokenness is the fuel for moving forward in some sort of mission. And my guess is, this is kind of uh, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but my guess is the reason we don't see a whole lot of activity and movement anymore other than just building giant opulent churches in the West, the reason we don't see people going and helping the needy and the sick and the lost and the lonely and the lepers and the left out and all that stuff like we see it in other places in the world is because we have not been broken hearted. 
We have a whole society that will keep you from being brokenhearted. It will do whatever it takes to assuage your broken, to, to get rid of your broken heart, to make sure that your broken heart is peaceful. And we, in fact, even have an entire theological system that says that you, God's will for you is to never, ever, 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 ever have your heart broken. And that might be why we don't pray. Nehemiah is broken. He is broken. And his brokenness leads him to being prayerful. So that's the next thing. He's broken, but he's also prayerful. He starts this whole thing simply by bowing his knees and his heart. And so here's the deal. It is a natural, you gotta realize this. It's a natural reaction to pray when you're brokenhearted. It is a natural reaction to pray when you're brokenhearted. And there's a fine line between brokenhearted and hardhearted. The hard-hearted person will not pray. The broken-hearted person will, even though from the outside it might look like the same thing. The broken person will pray. When your heart aches, you pray. When your heart breaks, you pray. It's a natural thing. And like I said, this is one of the reasons I also see why we may not pray a ton. Because we do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't have a broken heart. But let's take note how Nehemiah prays. He he actually prays different. So one of the things he does, he starts off with confession of sin. He starts by confessing sin. And it's confessing his personal sin, but it's also confessing to God the sin that someone else committed. He confesses to God the sin that someone else committed. Now this is something, I, I just need to make a comment on this. See, here's the deal. I do not think we will ever be a consistently prayerful people until we are a consistently broken people. And we will never be a fully broken people until we feel the full weight of the brokenness that surrounds us, not in our lives, but surrounds us outside of our lives. I'll give you a few examples. And I'm not going to get all political about this, but just so you know, there are... Hundreds of thousands of, let's just take this example, hundreds of thousands of babies being killed in this country. And most of the time, we will say, well, I didn't do that. That's those people. That is the perfect stance to take to be a non-prayer, to be a prayerless person. It's a perfect stance to be a prayerless person until you realize, like, no, I am part of this. I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I need to be part of the solution, but right now I'm part of the problem. See, in this passage, we see Nehemiah's brokenness for the sins of his people. He is, of course, broken for his own sin. He even takes it in there. My father and my family, we've, we've been sinful too, but he's broken for the sins of the people that, that the people of Israel committed against God. This is powerful and mostly missing from, from our world. When you have admitted that to God that the sinfulness of this world is part of your sin, that's the moment where you begin to realize the brokenness that this world has around you and your own brokenness. But oftentimes we're so individualistic, we're like, nope, those sinners out there and I'm pure and clean. This is not what we find in the Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. It's not what we find in the Scripture. When is the last time that you've admitted that you have been a part of this broken world. When is it that you have personalized that you are a part of the racial divides in our country or the suicide rates on the res? You're a part of that. You're a part of that. 
You may not feel like as a part of it because you're individualized. We're like, no, I'm not a part of that. But we are part of this society and this culture that makes up the fabric that allows for that type of stuff. And if we don't get involved, the blood is on our hands. Far too often we're concerned about, you know, those guys. Those, those homosexuals, those liberals, those people who want to take away our guns, those oh, Democrats, ah, you know, all of those people, we're concerned about them. Again, I don't, I'm not trying to get political. It's not the point. The point is illustrating where our divides are, and there are divides everywhere. Sometimes we're concerned about, well, those Native Americans over there, those African Americans, those guys over there, and it's an us and them and us and them and us and them. And we keenly forget about the fact that we live in broken marriages, broken sexual relationships, broken political systems, that we're part of the broken problem and that only Jesus can sort it out. And no wonder why we're prayerless. No wonder why we're prayerless. Because we're in a glass castle sitting by ourselves going, it's not my problem. I don't got to pray about it. The funny thing is, is that it seems that until we admit the brokenness and our part in it, then there will be no Jesus sorting it out. Okay, let's move on. That's too convicting. Okay, next point. Um, prayer, not only does he pray and confess sin, but he also prays God's word back to him. you got to notice this about Nehemiah. He prays God's word back to him. He says, Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at their farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. He's praying God's own words back to him. Now this isn't a means to try to trap God going, Remember, remember what you said. Shaking your finger at God going, I got you, I found a loophole. Um, now now we're, we're, we're stuck here. What he's doing is he is hurting, he is mourning. And what he does is amazing because he prays God's promises, both the good and the bad parts. He doesn't say, hey God, remember you said you're going to bring us back. He says, God, remember your word that you said you were going to remove us. And you were also going to bring us back if we return to you. And now I return to you. He prays God's word back to him. This results in reflecting God's word to him. And it's one of the best things to do when you pray. So I, I don't really understand prayer. I'm not an expert at it. In fact, it's one of the places I think I stink at the most. But I will tell you some of my routine prayers. Help me. It's a pretty, pretty routine prayer. Help me. Thank you is a pretty routine prayer. But there are some specific ones. Uh, when it's Monday... When it's Monday and I feel worthless and I don't want to be around people, which happens most Mondays, I have to go around. I, I don't like being around people and there's these old guys that get together for coffee every Monday. They're barely people, <laughs> but it's okay. No, actually, there are sometimes, these guys are my friends, they're, they're friends, and, and sometimes I have to work up the courage to even go in and hang out with these guys and they're like zero pressure. But I have to pray back to God when I feel worthless and when I feel like there's nothing, when I feel like I've screwed everything up, when I feel like nothing, I pray Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now we'll pray that over and over and over again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of Spirit, law of the Spirit of life, 
has set you free in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And I'll repeat that to myself. Not to myself. It's not a mantra. I will be praying this to God saying, God, thank you for your word. Help me to feel. Help me to know. Help me to see that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is something powerful in letting the Word of God fuel your prayers. That's one of the reasons why we know, that's one of the reasons why we go to know the Word of God. Fuel, let it fuel your prayers. And then what else does Nehemiah do? He also prays a concerned prayer for God's fame. It doesn't just start off with like, hey, I got a loophole here. Um, I found out that you said something. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and by your mighty hand, O Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servant who delight in receiving, or excuse me, who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. It's all about God's name and His fame and His glory. It's all about let this, let this happen, not for me, but for you, because I want to see you glorified. I want to worship you. I want to bring you glory and honor. Nehemiah is not praying God's words back to him just to pray God's words back to him as though to trap him in his words. He's praying God's heart back to him. He's praying God's heart back to him. Nehemiah knows that God has not done saving the world and saving Israel. So Nehemiah takes up the charge to pray God's great reputation back to him. And you can do this too. We can do this too. Not in a way to arrest God, but in a way to remind ourselves who he is. And then the last thing Nehemiah is, he did, not only is he brokenhearted, not only is he prayerful, but he's patient. He's patient. Now this is the worst thing for me to... This is, I hate this part of this passage. He is patient. I hate patience. I don't like praying for it. I would move faster. I move faster than I think, for crying out loud, because I don't think hardly at all. I talk faster than I think. I'm not a patient person. I do not like patience. I don't like praying for patience. But Nehemiah is patient. I'll have you look in the first verse of chapter 2. There's a little preview to next week. But he says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. So the storyline picks up in the month of Nisan. It started in the month of Kislev. Because most of us don't know our Jewish calendars, that would correlate about to Hanukkah and about to Passover. So we're looking like about December to about March, April. That's a long time to pray. When he says, for some days I prayed and mourned and fasted. He prayed and mourned and fasted from December to March. I don't think I've ever prayed for anything that long. And that consistently. He's patient. He prays and he waits and he prays and he waits. And he's just trusting for God to open the door or open a window to jump through. And then when the open window comes, he jumps. But that's for next next week. Nehemiah went into intense periods of uh, an intense period of focus on prayer and fasting and mourning. And I have to let you know, it is my experience that this is actually that we, we spend a lot of time actually saying, "Oh no, you shouldn't. It should be consistent. You should be consistent in prayer and fasting and stuff like that. You should have consistency. It's all about consistency. Just be consistent, right? Like so, we say this all people that we we kind of imply that you should be incredibly consistent. But I think it's okay that there are times where you spend intense amount of times in prayer and mourning and fasting and reading the Word of God. 
because of some situation in your life. I think it's okay for you to do that. I want to, I want to lift the weight off of you if you don't get your our daily bread and our daily breadcrumbs in every day or whatever. Like I want to lift the weight of, of your, off your shoulders and say, okay, there is, it is okay, it is okay that sometimes when life brings in something where you should be brokenhearted, that we can then spend an immense and intense amount of time in God's Word and in prayer and in fasting and in mourning. That's okay. We also, of course, want steady times of the Word of God. We also, of course, want steady times of prayer. But God arranges things in our lives to really knock us upside the head and get us focused on Him. Okay. So what do we do with all this stuff? What do we do with all this stuff? It's great and wonderful to kind of meander through all this and meander through a historical, cultural context lesson and all that stuff. But what do you do with this? I think the only thing I can tell you is, have you ever prayed the prayer of the brokenhearted? I do. Good. Excellent. If not, have you ever prayed to God to break your heart? And to truly break it in the sense of Nehemiah, where all of a sudden you feel the full weight of the sin that is not maybe your sin, but the sin of the people around you? Have you ever prayed for God to break you down? Or just to break you? It's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous, dangerous prayer. I will encourage you today to count the cost and perhaps pray that prayer. Because like I said, there's a fine line between those who are brokenhearted and those who are hard-hearted. My fear is, is that If God does not break me, I will get hard. If God does not break me, I will get hard. I will. Because I see it and I feel it and it happens so quick. My heart gets so crusty. And God has to break that from me. So as we go through Nehemiah, I want you to be able to see a man of faith who gets broken over and over and over again. And as he's broken, he's coming to the Lord again and again and again. But he's not just coming to the Lord. and He's also waiting patiently and moving and acting and doing. He's a guy who prays and does and prays and does and responds to what God is doing. And I hope that we can be that type of people. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would break us. Let's pray that... I mean, I'll leave that up to you. I'm... I'll leave that up to you. I can't. I don't want to manipulate you into anything. But if you have never prayed that God would break you, maybe, maybe it's time. Lord Jesus, um, I think about our friends who are out walking around right now in downtown or down to mines or wherever. I think about my friend Jesse with his two boys. And as they're walking around, Lord, I pray that you are opening, and I, I, I know that you are, you're opening their eyes to the brokenness that is around them. And I pray that you're making it personal for them. But I pray for us who are sitting in here, 
I pray that we would do the same thing as we walk out of these stairs or as we're talking to people, that we will feel the full weight of the brokenness that's around us. And Lord, that we would come to you and admit our need for you and come to you and admit the brokenness that we are a part of, even if it is not something we are doing in it, but we are connected to it. Lord, I know for a fact that there are people here who are connected to marriages that are falling apart and broken, that there are people who are connected here to people who have been uh, kicked in the teeth and have been left out to dry and have been uh, lied to and cheated on and cheated uh, and, and, and uh, stabbed in the back and all of that stuff, Lord. There are people here whom we are connected with that have an intense amount of sin and it just sits there, the sin is hitting them and it just sits there and it hits our hard hearts and bounces right off like we have no responsibility to it. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to be so broken hearted for our own life and our own sin and the sin in other people's lives and the hearts that are being, being kicked over and over again. Help us to be broken hearted for that and to come to you and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you deeply in prayer asking that you would not only forgive us of our sin, but come and battle that back. Lord, break us. Break me. Help my heart not to be crusty. Lord, as we worship you in song, I pray that we would continue to pray this to you. I'm tired of, I'm tired of just coming to a church service. Lord, may you break us so that we worship you after this. Lord, we love you and we commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.